Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Welcome to the National Prayer Chapel. Jesus has done many great things for us. And if you can call to mind some of those things right now, you'll see that he has delivered you for many, 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 many things. But his goal is not just to deliver you from circumstance after circumstance after circumstance. His goal is to save us. Please go with me to Psalm 116, and I'll begin reading from verse 8. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 12. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. When Jesus comes and he delivers us from circumstance after circumstance, he draws us out from so many things. But in doing so, and in bringing salvation to our hearts, he will let those circumstances take their course. And sometimes it will mean we walk through those hard times that he can show us the doubt that resides in our heart, or that he can begin to work persistence in our heart, that as we begin to feel the pinch of that circumstance, it drives us to the prayer closet. And he begins to work that precious work of persistence, 
teaching us how to pray, teaching us how to stand on his word and not giving up and building us up and making us strong that we can stand against the enemy. Or it can mean that he's teaching us patience, teaching us how to wait in the Lord. And some of you, you've prayed and God has answered so quickly. And you might be in that place where right now he's teaching you patience. You want it, but God said, no, wait on me. And in the waiting process, your heart begins to open to Jesus. Your ear begins to bend toward him and to hear whatever he wants to say to you. That's the saving of our souls. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Know today that, yes, Jesus wants to deliver you, but he also wants to marry you. And he's offering to us the cup of salvation for us to receive that, that as he puts his name on you and I, that we represent his image, that we are pure bride, that we're men and women that he's not ashamed of to call us his own, but those that are transformed. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. Don't be afraid today. Many of us have other things to the Lord that we've not yet done, or they are things that Jesus is calling us to walk in that we're hesitating to do. I encourage you today, let's pay our vows before Jesus. Let's honor our covenant with the Lord God. As he begins to work his work of salvation in our hearts, and as we are transformed, we gain weight in the spirit, and we gain favor with God. We're no longer lightweight. What we say and what we do have meaning. We walk with integrity. We're not easily angered. We forgive easily. There's joy and peace in our hearts. And the devil can't push us off the cliff because we're protected by Jesus. You know, I thank God for all those men and women that have gone before us, that have been praying for us and teaching us the way. I thank God for that. And I encourage you today that we take up the cup of salvation that Jesus is offering. The very things that would put us against him, those are the things that he wants to deliver us from and make us clean that our lives are no longer contrary to his nature, but that our lives reflect who he is. For the Lord is gracious and righteous, or God is full of compassion. Welcome to the National Prayer Chapel. What must I do to be saved? Let's pray. Lord, we need you to come, and we need you to deal with our hearts faithfully today and break all casualness and bring us up to the standard you desire for us. That there would be no lying to you about 
what we're going to do or say or be. Lord, everyone here has made a covenant saying, I will serve Jesus. But then there's a downfall. And we're lying. Lord, don't let us be casual if we walk back what we've covenanted with you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I need to speak with you with regard to this matter of salvation. Salvation lies between you and God. It's between your heart and God's heart. No one else can get in that place. God does not have grandkids. You can't ride my coattails to heaven. You can't ride anybody else's coattail. You are responsible before God for what happens eternally to your soul. The most serious issue we face ever in our lives is what will we do with this Jesus? And the devil has plainly laid traps for us to make us too busy in our jobs, too busy in our entertainment. The devil has set every trap to seduce us away from paying attention to the only thing that really matters. And that is, what will I do with Jesus? To do what is doubtful is to allow yourself to tamper with divine authority. And this will break down in your mind the solemn fear of sinning. This is a fear that we must cherish, we must guard, we must protect. Because so quickly in this culture we can be calloused by what we listen to. Oh, I'm in the car, I want to listen to this country western music and just veg while I drive. You just block the Holy Spirit. Oh, I just want to go and watch that movie. You just block the Holy Spirit. You just seared your heart. Please hear me. I'm not laying down a list of do's and don'ts. I'm telling you that everything you watch, everything you hear, will either draw you into the heart of Jesus, or it will deaden your soul so that you are less interested in Jesus. There are certain authors that I love to read. Novels. And the Lord said to me, look up on your Google the word novel. I was shocked. You know what novel means? A lie. So when I read my favorite authors, Modesset, Lemoore, and others, what am I doing? I am feasting my heart on a lie. When I sit down and I watch the movie, is it true? Of course not. Actors are performing. Do you know what the word actor is in the Latin and the Greek? Hypocrite. So you're feasting your heart on hypocrites. Well, 
But it's a wonderful story. Yes, it may be a wonderful story, but we are influencing our ability to have a clear mind to consider the issues regarding our salvation. We are blocking the Holy Spirit from being able to speak plainly and freely to us with regard to his concern for our heart. In Philippians, the second chapter, I'll begin reading with verse 12 through verse 13. So then, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, you must work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For God is the one working in you both to will and to work in behalf of his good pleasure. So it is not your work to be saved. It is your work to let God do the work in you and not block him with the wickedness of this world. Not sear your mind so you can't hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you. We need to have our faculties about us. Now, if you try to do away with some of these things that you've been participating in, very quickly you will go through withdrawal because they are drugs. We think of drugs as meth or cocaine or heroin. No, drugs are also anything that sears our heart so that we don't have the full capacity to respond to the Holy Spirit. Some people cannot bear to sit down and read the Bible. As soon as they do, they go to sleep. Why? Because they're so accustomed to their drug of overwork, they're so accustomed to their drug of television or novels or some other entertainment, that when they sit down to read the word, they have no taste for it. They don't desire it. And so they're bored. And I remember when I began to get this understanding, the Lord told me I was to read the scriptures. And so I would sit down to read it, and immediately I'd go to sleep. I finally had to get up and walk around in the room reading the scriptures aloud until finally they began to come alive like a movie that I was watching and the Holy Spirit quickened. But now if I sit down and watch an hour of a show, I can't read the scriptures. I go to sleep. I've been raised to believe that I should eat vegetables. Well, you know what? I didn't like vegetables. And I have sat at my place as a little boy for hours after a meal, refusing to eat my green beans, refusing to eat my broccoli. I wanted ice cream. I wanted a cookie. I wanted something sweet. Don't give me this ugly broccoli. And my daddy would say, there will be no dessert, Raymond, until you eat your broccoli. 
I can't think of any worse words for a little boy. (laughs) Well, now, if you give me the choice between a dish of ice cream and green beans, I'll gladly take the green beans and forego the ice cream because if I eat the ice cream, I've got to wear it. I've learned. You don't have a taste for the scripture? You want the ice cream. The taste for scripture comes as a gift from the Holy Spirit. It is not a natural interest. It is a supernatural interest. Now, I want to share with you today from a book entitled God's Call by Charles Finney. I wouldn't normally do this, but he is so precise in his words. I need to read this to you. You must understand what you have to do to be saved. It is of the utmost importance that you see this clearly. You need to know that you must return to God and that you need to understand what this means. The difficulty between yourself and God is that you have stolen yourself and run away from his service. By right, you belong to God. He created you for himself, and he had a perfectly righteous claim to the homage of your heart and the service of your life. But you, instead of living to meet his claims, have run away, have withdrawn from God's service, and have lived to please yourself. Now your duty is to return and restore yourself to God. You must return and confess your sins to God. You must confess that you have been all wrong and that God has been all right. Go before the Lord and lay open the depth of your guilt. Tell him that you deserve just as much damnation as he has threatened you with. These confessions are indispensable to your being forgiven. In accordance with this, the Lord says, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant then God can forgive. But as long as you challenge this point and will not acknowledge that God is right or will not admit that you are wrong, he can never forgive you. I I love this very straight concept that you stole yourself and ran away. Does that make sense to you? Do you understand that? Every person who is not a Christian is a thief. You stole yourself from God. For God to forgive us means we have to acknowledge that we have run away from God. And we have our own thoughts, we have our own ideas, we have our own beliefs, we have our own way of operating, and it's ours, and don't mess with what I believe. We own ourselves and have run away from God. And he cannot forgive us 
until we return to him. Moreover, you must confess to man if you have injured anyone. Is it not a fact that you have injured someone, perhaps many of your fellow men? Have you not slandered your neighbor and said things that you had no right to say? Have you not in some instances which you could call to mind if you were willing, where you lied to them, or you lied about them, or you covered up some perverted truth? Have you not been willing to give others false impressions of you or your conduct? If so, you must renounce all such iniquity, for he who covers his sins will not prosper. Furthermore, you must not only confess your sins to God and to people you've injured, but you must make restitution. You have not taken the position of repentance before God and man until you've done this. God cannot treat you as a penitent sinner whom he will forgive until you have done this. You must renounce yourself. Remember the passage? Jesus said, if you would follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And the word deny in the Greek, remember what it was? Disown. You must disown yourself. In other words, you can no longer run away with yourself because you don't own yourself. Even if you run away from Jesus, he still owns you. You're just in rebellion against him. You must renounce yourself. You must renounce your own righteousness forever discarding the very idea of having any righteousness in you. You must forever relinquish the idea of having done any good that you have that would commend you to God or be considered as a basis for His saving you. You must renounce your own will. You must always be ready to say not in word, but also in your heart, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now you know it is God's will to own you. It is not God's will for you to own yourself. Life does not reside in you. Life resides in God and he gives it to you as a gift. You belong to him. If God were to say to you today, okay, I hear you. You want to be God. Go on out. Create your own universe. Go wherever you want to go. Oh, and by the way, the universe is mine too, so go create a new universe. You're going to say, are you kidding me? It's like the atheist who said, I can create. I'm God. And the Christian said to him, well, show me. And so he began to gather things from nature to create something. And the Christian said, no, you can't have those things. You're stealing them. They belong to God. 
You know, where is the atheist going to go and gather something to create something when everything he sees, even his own life, belongs to God? You must constantly and most heartily agree that God's law is supreme. So you must renounce your way and let God have his way in everything. Never allow yourself to fret and be irritated by anything whatsoever. God's power extends to all events, and you ought to recognize his hand in all things. Therefore, to worry about anything at all is to go against God. God has permitted these things to come to you. Therefore, as long as you allow yourself to worry, you are not right with God. Who of you, by worrying, can add one moment to your life? You're walking in unbelief. You must become as a little child before God, subdued and trustful at His feet. The weather may be fair or foul, but you must let God have His way. Let all things go as they will. Let God do as He pleases. And let it be your part to submit in perfect resignation until you take this position, you cannot be saved. And I hear people say, people in this room even, look, I'm not going to do that. Really? Did God ask you to? Yes. So you're in rebellion against God. You are tempting God to remove you from the face of the earth. When will you stop tempting God and humble your heart and do what he asks you to do? When will you stop stealing yourself from God and setting up your own kingdom with your own rules and your own regulations? When will you stop Stealing yourself from God and give yourself back to Him. When we come to Christ, we accept Him really and fully as a Savior, renouncing all thought of depending on anything you have done or can do. You accept Jesus as your atoning sacrifice and as your ever-living mediator before God. Without the least limitation or reservation, you place yourself under the wing of God. I woke up early this morning, about 3, 3.30, and it just burst out of my heart. Lord, I'm under your wing. <laughs> and my heart was joyful. Now, when you steal yourself, you run away from the wing of God. And you're out there where the hawks and the turkeys can get you. And believe me, there are plenty of both. But when you're under the wing of God, nothing can touch you. Your joy cannot be stolen. Even in the worst of circumstances, you know Jesus is working everything out, and you trust him, and you know he loves you. 
and you don't steal yourself and go try to create some castle or some moat, some protective device. You trust him. Your eyes are on him. You're under his wing. Where there's protection and there's warmth and you don't get picked off by the hawks. At a high school principal who used to open the assemblies every week with this little saying, the banana that leaves the bunch gets skinned. When you go out from under the wing of Jesus, you're going to get skinned. And some of you are so bold, you live out there all the time, ready to be swept away in a moment because your heart is proud and you've stolen yourself. You're willing to go be friends with Jesus? Hey, best buddy, how are you? Are you kidding me? Best buddies do not protect you. You see him once in a while. You stop by church. Hey, I'm here to worship Jesus. He's my good buddy. Are you kidding me? You go under the wing of Jesus and you stay there. He is your protection. He is your guardian. He works everything out according to his will. You can trust him. He loves you. Like you've never been loved in your life. And so you seek to please Jesus and not yourself. It is impossible for you to be saved until you come into this attitude of mind, until you are so well pleased with Jesus in all respects that you find your pleasure in doing his pleasure. It is impossible for you to be happy in any other state of mind or unhappy in this. For Jesus' pleasure is infinitely good and right, Therefore, when his good pleasure becomes your good pleasure, and when your will harmonizes entirely with his will, then you will be happy for the same reason he is happy. You cannot fail to be happy any more than Jesus can fail to be happy. This becoming supremely happy in God's will is essentially the idea of salvation, in this state of mind, you are saved. Outside of it, you cannot be saved. I've often been amazed, he writes, that many professing Christians are deplorably and utterly mistaken on this point. Their real feelings is that Christ's service is an iron collar, an insufferably hard yoke. They work so hard to throw off some of this burden they try to say that Christ does not require much of any. They try to say he doesn't require self-denial. They say that Christ does not require much at all. If any devotion, if any deviation from the course of worldliness and sin, they could only get the standard of Christian duty quite down to a level with the fashions and the customs of this world, how much easier it would be then to live a Christian life and to wear Christ's yoke. He will not let that happen. Jesus will not permit that in our lives. Jesus' yoke, as it is really, in their view, becomes an iron collar. Doing the will of Christ 
instead of their own is a hard business for them, because doing His will is religion, and they groan under the idea that they must be religious. Of these people, I ask, how much religion of this kind would it take to make hell? Surely not much. When it gives you no joy to do God's pleasure, and yet you're required to do His pleasure in order to be saved, then you are perpetually forced into doing what you hate as the only means of escaping hell. Some that I've spoken to this past week have tried to cut this very fine line. How much do I have to do in order to have God's blessing on my life? How much do I have to give? How much do I have to do in order to have God's blessing on my life? I want to do just the minimum level required to get the maximum blessing from Jesus. And so they're not serving us out of a heart filled with joy at the pleasure of being in the presence of Jesus. They are just trying to keep some rules that they've set up for themselves so that they can have what they want. You cannot make deals with God. He doesn't negotiate. You either come wholly into his presence and stop stealing from him. One woman said to me, Pastor, you know why you don't have money for radio? It's on God's table. You just haven't gone and stolen it. So just get into God's presence and grab what you want and run. Such utter wickedness. I fear I would be struck by the lightning of God if I tried such a trick. No, I don't go to God's table and grab and growl. I go to God's table and I thank Him and I wait on Him to serve me. I'll never forget many years ago, I had a dream. In the dream, I was walking through this town, making my way to the edge of town where there was to be a banquet. And when I got to the, to the banquet table, there was a high fence between me and the banqueting table. And I couldn't get to the table. It was set beautifully. Gold and silver and crystal. It was the most gorgeous table I've ever seen. Huge portions of food sitting on the table. And I could not get there. And in sorrow, I turned and began to walk back. And as I was walking back, I suddenly saw that I was naked. And I met people coming, and I was ashamed. And they were carrying many packages, brightly wrapped packages, that they were bringing to give to Jesus. And I somehow knew in my heart that the fence would not be there when they got to the table. It was that dream, just before my father died, that so terrified my heart that when I stood at his casket, I said, Dad, you were a righteous man. I have to get to Jesus.
And I began the journey back to Jesus because I'd stolen myself from him. And my only goal at that point in life was to have this wonderful, successful church that I had. But the Holy Spirit wasn't there. Oh, it was rock and roll church. It was go-go church. All the music and it was all wonderful, but there was no God presence there. I had stolen his church as well as myself. I'll never forget the day when I was praying and repenting. And I saw the fence removed. And I was welcomed to the table of the Lord. All I could do was cry. I cried like a baby. Because Jesus was now, he had removed the fence. And he was welcoming me to his table. And I brought gifts. You know what I brought? I brought me. And said, Jesus, I stole me from you. I'm returning me. I'm yours. And I, from that day until today, have had free access to the table of God. I just ask, honestly, do you have free access to the table of God? Or are you blocked out because you still own you? And there are hard edges. I'm not going to forgive this. I'm not going to do that. Don't ask me this, Jesus. I'll be very kind here, but over here, don't mess with me, Jesus. No. When you return yourself to Jesus, you return yourself to Jesus. And he takes over. And everything changes. No more bitter words. No more judgments. No more anger. No more unhappiness. Joy fills your life. And no matter what the external circumstances this morning, first thing this morning, I get a a text from a dear brother out of state who said, Pastor, my wife's brother just died. He committed suicide. Would you pray? Broke my heart. And I immediately began to pray for them. And I'll tell you what flowed out of my heart. Jesus, you're going to use this funeral to utterly defeat Satan. And you're going to claim many who go to that funeral for your kingdom. And the joy of the Lord just overwhelmed me. And I had to text my brother and say, watch what God will do in the wake today. And watch what he will do at the funeral tomorrow. For there are going to be souls saved at this event. And God is going to defeat Satan who tried to destroy. And what he essentially did was destroy one person who had run away from Jesus. And we grieve over that. But many will be turned back, I pray. Christ's yoke is not an iron collar. Doing the will of Christ instead of your own can be a hard business. You might even groan under the idea. But when you come to Jesus, you suddenly know that 
It is not an iron collar. Jesus is not a hard man. To be saved, you must come into a state of mind in which you ask no higher joy than to do God's pleasure. This alone will be forever enough to fill your cup to overflowing. You must place complete confidence in Jesus or you cannot be saved. You must absolutely believe in him, believe all of his words of promise. They were given to you to be believed. And unless you believe them, you can do no good at all. Unless you exercise faith in the words of Jesus, they will not help you, but will only aggravate your guilt for unbelief. God wants to be believed when he speaks in love to you. He gave these exceeding great and precious promises so that by faith in them, you might escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. But thousands of professing believers do not know how to use these promises. Unbelievers will go down to hell in unbroken masses unless they believe and take hold of God by faith in his promises. His awful wrath is surely against them. He says, I would go through them. I would burn them together or let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me. And he shall make peace with me. Isaiah 27, 4 and 5. Stir yourself up and take hold of the arm of Jesus, strong to save. Do you ask, how may I take hold? By faith. Yes, by faith. Believe his words, the rhema words of God. You must believe those rhema words of God. And then take hold of these promises. And don't allow fear anymore. You say, I do believe, and yet I'm not saved. No, you don't believe. A woman said to me, I believe, I know I do, and yet here I am in my sins. No, I said, you don't believe. Do you have as much confidence in God as you would have in me if I had promised to give you a dollar? Do you ever pray to God? And if so, do you come with the same confidence as you would if you'd come to me and ask for a dollar? when I had promised it to you. Unless you have as much confidence in God as this, until you know that he will do what he's promised he will do, you must say, let God be true, but every man a liar. But you say, oh, I'm a sinner. How can I believe? I know you're a sinner, and so is everyone to whom God has given these promises. Oh, but I'm a great sinner. Well, Paul said this is a faithful saying and worthy of an acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So you need not despair. So many times people say to me, Pastor, I'm a sinner. So? That doesn't block you from salvation. That only means you know, need to go grab the arm of God and be saved. Oh, but pastor, I just can't break this bitterness in my heart. Of course you can't. You're not supposed to. Jesus breaks it. You turn your heart to him and he breaks it. 
Salvation is a supernatural work of God. But we must return ourselves to him so that he can do that wonderful work of grace in our hearts. You must forsake all that you have, or you cannot be Christ's disciple. There must be an absolute and total self-denial. Now, by this, I do not mean that you're never to eat again or never to clothe yourself or never to enjoy the company of friends. No, rather, I mean that you should cease entirely from using any of these enjoyments selfishly. You must no longer think that you own yourself, your time, your possessions, your money, or anything you've ever called your own. All these things you must now think of as belonging to God. In this sense, you are to forsake all that you have in the sense of laying everything on God's altar to be devoted supremely and only to his service. When you come to God for pardon and salvation, come and lay everything at his feet. Come with your body to offer it as a living sacrifice upon his altar, Romans 12.1. Come with your soul and all of its powers. Yield them in willing consecration to your God and Savior. Please, these things either belong to you to use as you please, or they belong to Jesus. And they do belong to Jesus, even if you steal them. If you come into my house and you steal something of value from me, and when you take it to the pawn shop, is it still mine? Of course. It's just stolen. So whatever you have belongs to Jesus. Your time, your energy, your money, your friendships, your relationships, they belong to Jesus. He gave them to you. Now, I don't want to get in hot water here, but God has given some of you relationships, and they make you gag. You don't want that relationship. Does God want you to have it? See, it's not what you want. It's what God wants in you. I've heard wives say, I can't stand my husband. Really? Can God stand him? Can't stand my wife. I can remember people saying to me, I've, all, I've always said, Pastor, I wish my husband would just die and then I'd be free. Really? You're a wild oat, aren't you? Out there on your own, fighting, destroying. Come, bring everything, body, soul, intellect, imagination, skills. Bring everything without holding back, saying Everything. Don't sin against your own soul like Ananias and Sapphira did by keeping back a part of your life. If you have said, Jesus, I will serve you, and then you hold back a certain portion, you are an Ananias and Sapphira. And it's only by God's grace that you're still alive. For you have lied to God. You have said, I will belong to you, Jesus, and then you claim a certain portion back for yourself. 
renounce your own claim to everything and recognize God's right to everything you are and everything you have. Say, Lord, these things are not mine. I have stolen them. They were never mine. They were always yours. I'll have them no longer. Lord, these things are yours henceforth and forevermore. Now, Lord, what do you want me to do? I have no business of my own to do. I am wholly at your disposal, Lord. What work do you have for me to do? If you want to be saved, you must accept a prepared salvation. Please hear what I'm saying to you. You do not get to inject your ideas of what this salvation should look like or how it should function. You either accept the prepared salvation of Jesus or you have no salvation. You don't get to tweak it or adjust it. You don't get to say, I like this part, Jesus, but I don't like this part. Let's get rid of this and let's keep that. In fact, why don't you double that and get rid of this? You don't have that option. You receive a prepared salvation, full and present. You must be willing to give up all your sins and be saved from them now and forever. Until you agree to this, you cannot be saved at all. Many people would be willing to be saved in heaven if they could hold on to some sins while on earth. They think they would like heaven on those terms. But the fact is they would dislike so much a pure heart and a holy life in heaven that heaven would be hell for them. I said to one man, do you think the Steelers are going to play in heaven? Would you be happy if you never got to see another Steelers game? Do you think the angels are going to organize a football league in heaven? Would you be happy if you never got to watch another football game in your life? Well, maybe you better start now to see if you're happy with Jesus or if you can't live without football. And then when you get to hell, you can organize it with the devil. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? We accept a prepared salvation now. Not when we get to heaven. There can be no heaven except for those who accept a salvation from all sin in this world. They must take the gospel as a system that holds no compromise with sin. A system that intends full deliverance from sin even now and makes provision accordingly. Any other gospel is not the true gospel. Christ's gospel in any other sense is not to accept it at all. Its first and its last condition is sworn an eternal reconciliation of all sin. You cannot be saved partially. A woman cannot be part pregnant. She's either pregnant or she's not pregnant. And the test shows it. I've never had a woman say to me, 
oh, I'm just half pregnant. Have you heard that? You're not half saved. You're either saved or you're not saved. And if you're still walking in known sin and rebellion against God, you are not saved. To be saved means to be saved from my sin, to stop stealing myself from God and return to God all that I owe him. All of us have stolen time. We've stolen pleasure. We've stolen relationship. We've stolen all kinds of things from God. And all of these things have to be returned to him. What must I do to be saved? I must allow God to save me. And I must accept a prepared salvation. If I were to search your possessions and search your heart, would I find anything that you have stolen from God, that you have claimed as your own? Or have you given everything back and repented and returned to God what is his own? You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. of his glory.